Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod, and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. There's a cold front blowing across Britain this morning and it's not just because it's Budget Day in Westminster. Chancellor Philip Hammond will unveil the contents of his red box this afternoon to a sceptical House of Commons who all know whatever he says will be pointless in the face of a no-deal Brexit next year. Unlike George Osborne, he will not be trying to pull any rabbits out of any hats, but Hammond has promised a giveaway of sorts for mental health and for the roads in this country. We'll let you know what to expect. Our budget teams are out and about around the country. 0344 We'll bring you uh, the breaking news that Angela Merkel has said that she's basically going to step down uh, from her role as Chancellor uh, of Germany. We'll find out what that means for Europe. We'll find out what it means for Brexit. We'll find out what it means, in fact, uh, for the whole European project. First, though, we're talking about how the government really works, and it's nothing to do with the people, the people's vote, or even the will of the people. It's all to do with lobbying firms and the power of experts as we learn about the plastics industry's links to certain government advisors. Is it all as transparent as it could be? The answer is inevitably no. No. 0344 499 Daisy McAndrews here, and we'll be finding out why she had another IKEA nightmare at the weekend and why Halloween is now a five day celebration. What is going on? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, Daisy, a very good morning, good morning. to you. Welcome to the last week of October. I mean, by the time we get to Thursday, it'll be November. I, can't, I don't know where yeah. October has possibly gone quickest of any month this year Do so you reckon? far. Does that mean that you've been happier or busier? Or I don't know what it means, actually, to be honest. I don't know whether I'm happy. I don't even know what happy is anymore. I'm so busy. I don't think we've, we've had an extra hour. We have had an extra hour. I did, I did, of course, do the traditional Saturday night absolute drinking on the basis that, don't worry, um, yes. you've got an extra hour in bed, which apparently seems to make everybody believe, or it certainly makes me believe, you can do whatever you like and go to bed as late as you want on I, Saturday night. I was slightly and the same, fine. but I did feel very sorry for people with young children yesterday. Mm. Mercifully, mine are now beyond the yeah. stage of waking up at yes. you know, four in the morning. Yeah, and mine too. They wake up sort of later than I yeah. do now, which but is good. But I, I did think anybody out there who was woken up very, very yeah. early yesterday morning. I did have the dog, uh, however, staring at me. And you know when you wake up and you know the dog staring yeah. at you, and the dog staring <laughs> at me, and it was about half past nine, which meant it was actually half past ten, and he normally gets about half past seven. And, and he, he was, was just looking at me presumably like... presumably his legs were crossed. Yeah, he's, <laughs> am I, yeah. Am I never going to eat ever again? Oh. And he was, in fact, he was so desperate to eat, he didn't even go out. 
to do anything else. <laughs> you just wanted you just wanted to make sure you had some food first. No, but uh, we'll come back to all of that because the weekend, of course, uh, is something we need to discuss. There's lots of things coming from the weekend, including me watching that new BBC show last night, which is the first one I've actually enjoyed. Oh, you know, good. Really well, like I'm going to watch it tonight. Didn't really like The Bodyguard. This new one is good. Let's talk, though, to Duncan Haynes, Director of Policy at Transparency International, because I suppose you'd call me naive if I said to you, um, you know, who do you think really runs the country? Do you really not think that lobbying groups actually give loads of money to government organisations or they give money to experts who, who, who advise government organisations? The story in The Times this morning basically suggesting that um, a government expert on the plastics industry has actually been funded by a company in the plastics industry or an organisation yeah. in the plastics industry. He's basically all about trying to tell people that uh, single-use plastics are actually but much better than people believe them to be um, and they shouldn't all be done away with because there are health issues around reusing plastic and it turns out that he's working for people who are all about single-use plastics. And some of these, you know, some of the report he's said, you know, seems to be suggesting that you know, if we abandon single-use plastic and all start, you know, putting everything in Tupperware, whatever it might be, that suddenly we're all going to get uh, lots of some bacteria yeah. in our food and we're right. all going to get really, really sick, which you know, I think most of us will probably take with a pinch of salt even before we need yes. the well, connections. Exactly. But it's not even so much whether there is any truth to the stories. It's all about who's paying the piper, I suppose. Let's find out yeah. from Duncan whether this is just the tip of the iceberg. Hi, Duncan. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, I, I mean, already in my own mind, I'm thinking, was I naive not to think that this was the kind of thing that goes on all the time anyway? Well, I'm still shocked whenever we come across examples like this. Right. Uh, but what's really depressing is when challenged about them, uh, people can, uh, as, as this official did, uh, take the view that uh, they can take money from private interests like this and, and their work remains independent because you know, that's not what your listeners will think about no, his study anymore. Uh, we, we did a big survey as part of our global corruption barometer uh, uh, last year uh, 59% of the British public taking part in that survey said that they believe that government is either entirely or to a large extent run by a few big entities acting in their own interests. Uh, and you know, even, even if it's not as bad as that, if that's what people believe, then these kind of problems are corrosive to the public's faith in our democracy. Absolutely right. And I mean, we hear all the time about uh, government ministers who leave government and end up working as directors of large organisations who probably were um, able to influence them while they were in government. And nobody ever seems to do anything about that. The uh, body that's uh, meant to oversee that situation is called uh, the Advisory Committee on Business Appointments, yeah. and it is just that. It's an advisory committee to uh, the government, uh, to the Prime Minister, and it doesn't have any teeth, any power to ensure that former ministers follow its recommendations when it advises on how best to make sure uh, that they don't um, uh, have any conflict of interest arising from their past relations with, with these companies. Uh, the revolving door, as we call it, is not just about politicians, however. It's about officials and civil servants. It's, it's particularly widespread in the defence sector. Uh, and uh, this sort of thing uh, erodes the independence. Uh, if, if you have a situation where officials know uh, that there's a nice job a couple of years down the line for them, uh, then uh, you know, it makes it very hard for them to uh, take a fully independent attitude yeah. to the company's concerned. Duncan, I completely hear what you say about you know, the, the defence sector, but also when it comes to reports like this that, you know, that, that claim to tell you something about sort of health or well-being, it seems to me that so many of them have been funded by sort of food or beverage companies that... 
you know, I'm now completely cynical when I when I read them. And I was um, having a look at it this morning, and I saw that there was a, a university professor called Marion uh, Nessel who who looked at exactly this in 2015. Looked at 168 studies, and she found that 156 of them were biased um, in favour of the company that had sponsored. Uh, the 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 survey or the you know, the research in the first place, which just seems to me that I mean that's even worse than I suspected. And uh, the first thing that we can do about this is to make sure that everyone is totally open and transparent about who funds their work. Mm. We at Transparency International, we list our funders on our website. We're independently assessed um, by uh, a, a group that assess think tanks as to how independent they are, how, how transparent they are about where their money comes from. Many of the think tanks that produce reports that end up uh, in news bulletins uh, are not declaring who funds their work. Uh, and for the public to be able to make their own assessment of whether they believe what these reports say. Uh, I think it's essential that people are transparent about uh, wh where the money is coming from. No, indeed. We'll come back to this individual in the plastics industry in a moment, but there's another story today about American companies who were among consultancies paid more than one and a half million last month to advise officials drawing up plans to implement Brexit. Now, uh, we know one and a half million quid to Parliament is not a great deal of money, but that's just a one-off, you know, as far as we know. Uh, we don't exactly know who these American companies are or who they represent or what views they may be imparting you know of course they may all be very neutral and all above board and all of that but you know we don't know enough about this stuff do we well, one of the uh, things that we, we've been urging companies to do is to be much more transparent about uh, their use of secondments in yeah. the government. Right. Uh, it's you know, a well-established practice for you know, large business consultancy advisory firms, especially when you know, their private sector work is um, quiet, uh, to, to loan and second staff into uh, government departments. Uh, that gives them uh, powerful networks in terms of then selling on future work, uh, but also gives them an inside track. Uh, and it, this sort of thing, uh, you know, they even sometimes consider that actually that is a generous contribution to be making to public life. But um, if that's the case, that they can afford to be a lot more transparent about what's going on so that people can understand, you know, how dependent on the advice of some of these companies as some of, some of our public services become. And I think one of the interesting things about so many of these reports that are put together is that the scientists or who are the experts who who do the, these reports, they fundamentally don't believe that their that their science is skewed or biased. But the analysis, you know, when it's done by somebody else, shows that that's not the case. So it's almost like they're kidding themselves. Yes, and, and politicians will tell you uh, that uh, who donates money to, to their campaigns and their causes uh, doesn't influence um, you know, their views and what, what policies they choose to take. Uh, but uh, you know, they will know that some positions are more likely to uh, uh, please uh, wealthy donors. Uh, and so there's, there's a bit of um, d denial that goes on uh, in, in, in the minds of you know, people who are you know, nonetheless you're wanting to be able to take funding where they can get it. Mm. Is there a kind of um, nod and a wink going on here? I know that's probably not the best way to describe it, but in, inside of Parliament, for example, with Peter Hayne uh, getting up in the House of Lords the other day, um, declaring that uh, he was going to name the person involved in the Daily Telegraph injunction case. It turns out he's an advisor to a law firm who worked for the Daily Telegraph, and we're all supposed mm. to go, oh, well, that's quite surprising. <laughs> what a coincidence, you know. And then it turns out that he himself has, has also had a non-disclosure uh, agreement agreement signed uh, with a police officer whom he paid off uh, in a sort of defamation suit some years ago. I mean, I mean, are we all supposed to walk around just like idiots and go, well, there, the, there's the emperor wearing his new clothes and, uh, you know, we're all falling for it? 
Well, I, I don't know whether he uh, knew uh, the work that Gordon Dads uh, was doing for the Telegraph or not. I've seen his declaration of interest. Mm. It's a long list, yeah. um, which does mean it's entirely plausible that you know he didn't know enough about uh, what what this firm that he was advising were, were doing in terms of their other work. Uh, but but this is part of the problem with uh, the setup of the House of Lords at the moment. We, we essentially have part of our legislature as uh, people with an interesting hinterland and, and all sorts of interests in their personal and career lives uh, who are working on a very part-time basis in, in the House of Lords, many yeah. of them. And as a consequence, they continue to be paid by numerous other organizations uh, in, in the rest of their working lives. And in, in this case, you know, it's a long list of advisory uh, roles. And if, if this were an MP, uh, they would be required to declare how many days they were working yeah. for these other interests, um, you know, what they were being essentially paid an hour there for, how much money they were being paid by these organizations. For members of the House of Lords, the requirements are much less. All you get is a list of the entities that they have uh, some kind of remunerated or, or director-level relationship. Right. And, and so we do not know to what extent individual members of the House of Lords are um, financially conflicted uh, with uh, their other employers. And Duncan, obviously the thing, you know, the word that will be on many people's lips is, is corruption. I'm, I'm loath to, to use it, you know, particularly when talking about, about MPs and members of the House of Lords, but there is that suspicion there. How corrupt, if at all, do you think our Parliament is? I think it's fair to say that the way corruption works in British society is is um, very much its own model and not necessarily the sort of corruption that one uh, recognises in other parts of the world. But that doesn't mean to say that it isn't um, skewing our democratic institutions away from serving the public interest, which is what everyone there is supposed to do. I, th I uh, think there's no doubt that the system uh, exists, and, and as long as those people working within the system are honourable, then we're all fine. However, uh, if you have one uh, particular peer or one particular lobbyist who is not particularly honourable, the system also allows for them to influence people unduly, it seems to me. And we believe that transparency is a safeguard which not only gives the British public greater confidence, but also protects public office holders from finding themselves in uh, conflicted situations. Uh, and indeed, people that might seek to uh, influence them in an undue manner will be less tempted to do so if they know that all of these interactions are uh, declared and, and open to, to view from the public. Uh, we are working on ways to take the rather other um, bu um, bureaucratic paperwork of uh, government transparency reports and make it a lot easier for the public and for journalists to see uh, the exact uh, pattern of meetings that different um, organisations have with government. The British Plastics Federation, to go back to your original story, they met with a Treasury Minister uh, only in March of this year. The Food Service Packaging Association meets regularly, albeit not particularly frequently, with ministers in the uh, Environment Department. But this kind of information, although it's released by the government, it's very hard to find deep, deep in you know, highly fragmented sets of reports. And we think actually this is the kind of information that the British public has a right to know. No, indeed. David McDowell, the guy in question here, was paid by Pack2Go, which is a group representing convenience food packaging makers across Europe. Uh, he's been reporting on the risk from reusable coffee cups and other products, uh, and his findings have been used to lobby the government 
before the budget today, apparently, uh, which could impose a tax on single-use plastic cups. So he's basically representing people who want there to be single-use plastic cups uh, and advising the government, presumably, uh, that they should not tax them. Uh, well, you certainly you certainly get uh, an uptick in lobbying activity when any particular business sector yeah. feels threatened by you know, ad developments in government policy. We we don't believe that lobbying in and of itself is wrong. You know, policy making has to be well informed, and all those affected by changes in policy you know, need to be heard by government. What's important, though, is that the public should be able to see exactly. You know, who the people that are working on their behalf are meeting with uh, uh, who who has the minister's ear because the minister's meant to be yeah. working for the, for the public not for private interests well, this, that's is, right. this, this is the problem when you know in sort of industries particularly industries commission so-called scientific research in order to push their own agenda and it's happened so many times in the past so you know this this particularly what they're trying to say is you know, if you don't do single-use plastic, if you do reusable plastic, you're all going to get you know, diseases and, yeah. and infections and food mm. poisonings. And it's happened, I mean, so many times, <laughs> as we did this morning. Uh, so Coca-Cola commissioned um, a load of um, a report that's saying that exercise was a more effective weight loss tool than cutting calories. Right. <laughs> and they promoted Great. this for years and well, years. Well, I mean, there's some truth to it, I suppose. No, there's no truth to but, it. You know, Not, can't, can't possibly be more. No, but effective. no, but what I'm saying is, is that there's probably you can yeah. make, you can you can get a scientific study to say anything. To say anything, well, exactly. Which... There's there's a pomegranate uh, juice maker who commissioned a report. They paid thirty five million pounds for studies to show that drinking pomegranate juice reduced um thing reduced your chance of getting cancer, right. which was completely bogus. <laughs> I mean, it but just goes trouble, on and on. Duncan, do you use uh, freedom of information um uh, sort of queries very often? Because I know when FOIs first came in for journalists they were thought to be a really really useful tool to get at the truth but then uh, civil servants and, and government employees became very good at sort of avoiding FOIs and, and, and particularly I know from my time in Scotland um, at the Scottish office they were incredibly good at just uh, obfuscating and mm. sort of filibustering and making it making you wait such a long time that by the time the answer came out uh, it was of no use to or man or burying beast. it yeah, somewhere exactly what, what are you finding about the FOI system uh, yes, we, we do use freedom of information requests. In fact, no, I mean, not just the UK's experience, but around the world, um, freedom of information laws are really important yeah. for holding government to account. Uh, but um, it's getting harder and harder to get useful information yeah. out. And we need actually to, to have a much more proactive approach to just releasing information and yeah. putting it in the public domain. Uh, because at the moment, yes, if it take, costs too much money to find the information or if uh, the way you've asked for the information not quite held in the same place by the same but we're in that you know well there are all these excuses yeah. uh, i read a report just a few days ago about how long uh the the home office was taking to respond to freedom of information requests um i, I myself actually um uh, alongside the information commissioner uh took the metropolitan police as far as an information tribunal because they were refusing to release uh, information that um, uh, we'd requested and it was only only on the eve of the day that we had in court uh, for that tribunal did they actually uh, relent and decide to release that information because what they know is that kind of delaying tactic mm. is enough uh, to, to knock a lot of people off the scent uh, and so we, we need a culture which is more open and more accepting that you know people have a right to know. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Mm. Duncan, thanks very much indeed. Yeah, and keep, uh, for taking keep at the time. it. <laughs> yeah, keep at it as well. Yeah, and if you need any help from us, by all means, ask for it. Uh, Duncan Haynes, Director of Policy at Transparency International UK. Let's talk to Chris, uh, who's in Chichester. Hello, Chris. 
Yeah, how are you, mate? Morning. Uh, what do you no, want to tell I, us? I, I, I don't really swallow much of this. I've been hearing this sort of on 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 the airwaves for a while now, and uh, I, I just don't swallow it. We've never had, and I don't I don't include idiots driving into people outside of mosque. I don't include them as terrorists, and uh, and and this demonisation of Tommy Robinson. I'm no supporter of Robinson, but what what the government with this narrative have done is made him a hero. If they just ignored him, he'd have been fine. I mean, that nonsense with those young soldiers the other week, that, you know, that, that was crazy. What the army should have done, it was made by the Muslim Council of Great Britain, the complaint. What, what they should have said, the army, if they had any sense at all, said, yeah, we'll have words of advice. Thanks very much. And the whole thing would have Listen, I don't disagree with you. I think the way that the government have dealt with Tommy Robinson has not helped at all. Um, and, and he has been able to take advantage of, of what they've done in order to make himself into a kind of a master. I mean, what they did quite cleverly, I think, the last was it last week when he was up at the Old Bailey again, um, and he was kind of left slightly swinging in the wind in a way because he went, they're trying to stop me from speaking. It was like, well, actually, you're speaking, so they're not really yeah, stopping you. With a megaphone. Um, they want to lock me up. Uh, actually, they've let you go. Right. And, you know, that was a far better way to deal with it, I think. But that whole thing has been bungled from the start. I mean, I, he was breaking the law outside that court. He was. And he knew that. Yeah. But, but the judge and everything else, they completely bungled the whole thing. In fact, now it's become an abusive process and he should be let go because they've just cocked up the whole thing. Well, I mean, that's the trouble now, is that they've, they've now let it drag on for such a long time. But the fact is, is that if they just put it to bed and said, look, I'll tell you what, let's have a quick uh, uh, judicial review here. Uh, let's decide that no matter what happened, whether it was right or wrong, it happened, you know, and we're not going to bother punishing you any further. You've been punished. Let's move on. Time and then, and then he'll have, yeah, and then he'll have, he'll have no more reason to complain about being mistreated or victimised or being martyred or any of that. Um, and you know, let him speak and let him tell the untruths that he tells. Because to be honest, that is quite a dangerous thing that he does. He does tell a lot of untruths. He makes people believe that certain things are happening when they're not happening. Uh, you know that somehow the mainstream media is ignoring a story when they're not ignoring it at all. They're reporting it under the laws under which they can report them and all of that. But Chris, I think the trouble is there are there is. I mean, we've seen the way that people become radicalised on the Islamic side. We're now seeing in America, for example, and they've always had the odd nutter over there. We're now seeing it happening over there as well. Well, I mean, I, I, I was a cop for 32 years and worked in counterterrorism for some time. And, uh, and and obviously had a fair amount of experience and knowledge about terrorism. And I, I just don't swallow this. I just do not swallow this. If we're seeing outbreaks of violence fermented by the right wing, yeah, I'd say so. But uh, to be honest with you, you know, MI5 these days, that, that they if, if I talk to you now quietly about, about planting a bomb somewhere, next minute that would be a bomb plot. Well, whether it's viable or not, it's a different matter. Well, it would and, be and a bomb plot. But you, if you're an ex-police officer, Chris, you'll know that that is indeed a bomb plot. And so, therefore, you would have to be pulled in and asked about it, wouldn't you? Uh, so you think you think like people that. talking about a bomb plot isn't a bomb plot? And you used to be a yeah, policeman. Well, well, no, no, it, it isn't a bomb plot because you could say anything on social media these days. And that, and that necessarily won't make you a suspect. Well, to be honest, if you're doing it... Them. If you're doing it publicly on social media, then you're probably more of an idiot plot than a bomb plot. But my point is, is that if there are people talking about these things, of course the police have to investigate them. I mean, if at the end of the day, the guy who shot the, uh, the the people in the synagogue, he was all over social media talking about uh, Jews and how he wanted to kill them, and no, nobody did anything. And now look what's happened. Yeah, well, that's the state. You say now you've been there, so you know that. Yeah, no, I know that. But I mean, we also have had everywhere over there. But yeah, well, you, you, can't, you can't just naysay it. I think the point is is that there are people in this country who are quite happy uh, to reflect 
uh, and encourage those who oppose Muslims and oppose Islamic fundamentalism and oppose terrorism uh, to have a go back. And you know that that's going on. Uh, yeah, but I'll offer to, I don't think it's viable. I mean, you know, the, the, the bomb plot... Well, well that remains to be seen, doesn't it? I mean, uh, Daisy read you out a load of statistics. What were those statistics Well, I was just about? going to say, Chris, because, you know, I mean, you know, the statistic I read that the Home Office has released said four far-right terror plots have been thwarted in Britain since March 2017 compared to 13 involving Muslim fanatics, which, you know, I, th- I think proves the point that, yes, we all agree that this is not a terror threat on the same level, but it is something that should be taken seriously if four... Um, you know, proper terror plots have been thwarted in the last year. That's, you know, that's significant. Well, you did make the point of proper terror threats. And and, and that's the point I, I make, is that a lot of this stuff is cobblers, to be honest with you. And, they, and it, it, it isn't viable, and it's just nonsense. And yet, and yet the Islamic terror... Are you saying that the Home is, Office figures are nonsense? I, I don't trust the Home Office. I've never trusted them. And I used to work with them. I don't trust them half the time. Because you see, think they're people, skewing see, the figures. People like you, Chris, are responsible for, for winding people up into this kind of frenzy that everybody's against everybody who's white oh, and working come class. On, Mike. You've just I'm done it, Chris. Do, do you've, just said, you've just said you work for the Home Office and you don't trust them. That's a ludicrous thing to say. I don't trust any politicians. I don't think you do either. That's not the same <laughs> thing. You are saying that you're a, a serving police officer. You don't trust the Home Office. You don't trust any politician. Now, if you're some white working class kid who hates Muslims and is sitting in his bedsit thinking, what can I do about this? What do you think he's going to say now? Uh, well, whatever he's going to say, it's up to him. But the thing is, I just don't see I don't. I don't trust the Home Office. And, and half the time, they, they give you a narrative that they want you to believe. So you're and, saying and that I they tell lies, in other words? Well, if you want but, to use that term, but yeah. But, Chris, if you... Yeah, if, if no, you're I don't not... want to use that term. I'm asking you, Chris. Are you saying the Home Office have lied to you? Uh, no, I think they embellish. I think they embellish a lot of things. And uh, and it's purely for a polit- political narrative that they want to spin. I just do not swallow this. So what about the figures um, the last month that showed the number of white terror suspects was was higher than the number of non-white terror suspects? Surely you must see that that's a significant change, demographic change. That's an interesting description. What's a terror suspect? I mean, it's just... Well, you tell me, Chris, when you were a police officer, what was the definition of a terrorist suspect? These suspects were arrested. They weren't just suspects. They were suspects who were arrested. I mean, surly, that's quite an obvious definition. Uh, Okay, they're arrested and people get arrested all the time. What happened? I have no idea. You tell me what happened. Well, uh, well, I don't know, but I didn't see anybody charged. I didn't see it publicised that they charged them with offences. So people getting arrested and people getting charged are two separate things. They are. Chris, thank you for the lesson in policing. You still haven't told me what the definition of a terrorist in police terms is. Somebody who can actually, as a viable, someone's got a good history, someone who can viably do things and is a credible threat. And I don't think a lot of these people are. OK, well, let's hope none of them are, Chris. Thanks very much for your call. 03444991000, you might agree with Chris. Uh, I'm not sure that what he said there is entirely responsible. However, uh, he's entitled to his opinion, as everybody is here at Talk Radio. You are allowed to give your opinion as well, and I'd love to hear from more of you. 03444991000. Unfortunately, viable may not ever mean viable until something happens. And that's what the police at MI5 are trying to prevent. And I think to go around as a former employee of the Home Office to say that they don't uh, do things right and they tell lies effectively, I don't think that's really very helpful to anyone. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, let's talk to uh, David, who's in Northern Ireland. Hello, David. Hello, good morning, folks. Good morning, how are you doing? I'm fine, sir. Good. What would you like to say, I'm David? I, I think you guys are playing down the extent or the capabilities of a far-right movement in 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 UK or around the world. I don't think so. I think I'm, I brought to the attention I'm, of uh, of the country the, uh, the the incidents in America that have happened just recently. And also, uh, I was arguing with our last caller uh, that he was playing it down and I wasn't. No, the other caller, and you know, I remember what he said. He said we cannot equate, you know, uh, far right uh, extremism to Islamic extremism. Right. They are as dangerous as the other. I, I agree with you. You know, because you know, the last time we a far right extremist came to power in Europe, we we knew what happened, mm. and we, we know how long it took him from 1919. To 1940, the beginning of uh, for, uh, Second World War. You know how many million Jews that died. You know how many Europeans died fighting against, you know, far right extremism. No, of the course, and, part... I, and I think I think we have to be careful, David. I mean, what we don't know yet is whether any of the current far right um, extremists will, in fact, become terrorists. But I think we have to be very careful um, that but we we they, keep an they, eye on them. For the, the fact they have those views, you know, you cannot underestimate. You know, their capabilities. Because when Hitler started, nobody took him serious. You know, people look at him and say, this is no, no nobody, you know what I mean? Right. But he, he, he rose to power. And you know what happened? Mm. We, we cannot underestimate, you know, what they could do or what their intentions are. You know, it is very, very important that we, we, we put them in the same, you know, uh, uh, footing as Islamic terrorism. I, I think you're absolutely, but I think this is what this is exactly what Mike was arguing with with Chris about because Chris seemed to be saying, you know, that we, the mainstream media or whoever, are are exaggerating the impact of of the far right and you know almost putting them on an equal footing with with other terror groups, which which we're not doing. But equally to ignore or you know belittle the threat coming from the far right would be just as irresponsible, if not more. Yeah, and that is what I'm trying to say mm. because some of the 
the other, uh, you know, people that have uh, contributed to this particular debate. You know, I'm listening to them and thinking, are they serious or what? I think, you know, I suppose, in, I, th- I think the reason, David, that people are trying to cause or trying to suggest there is a difference is that we know that radical Islam has caused a series of, of terrorism events, whereas we don't know really yet, in this country anyway, uh, what the far right beliefs have caused, right? Because we know about the guy that tried to run over people at a mosque. Uh, he's a kind of, a, to me, a bit of a one-off character in the same way um, uh, that the guy who... Um, uh, who we've also we've also been hearing about getting involved in sort of terrorism activity and and the Joe Cox killing and all of that. You know, we don't yeah, really. Yes, Mike, you know, a legislator was more than in the in a broad daylight. This is you can never test us more than that. No, that's true. A, a but what I'm saying, David, is in a, in a for me. Daylight. Yeah, but for me, I think if yeah. a terrorist must be part of an organisation. I think. I may be wrong, but that's my interpretation of terrorism. And if you are somebody who decides to kill your MP because of some warped ideology that you think you'd believe in, that doesn't make you a terrorist. It makes you a murdering piece of scum. A, a, a terrorist is somebody who is terrorizing, you know, the community, the state. Right, you know, and that's not what he did. But he didn't do that. So you think that when somebody, you know, goes in the street and murder a legislator, that is not a terrorist no. activity. It happens all. Act. It happens up and down the country every day, David. People get murdered all the time. It does not happen. I haven't seen any other MP or. No, hang on. No, I'm that. saying no, but I'm saying murder happens every day, and you don't call anybody who murders somebody a terrorist just because they murdered somebody, do you? But but is the motive? Well, is the, the motive, motive doesn't make you a terrorist. No, I disagree. That's, I'm just do, giving you my opinion, Cox, David. Joe Cox was murdered because of her beliefs and her politics, and the fella who murdered. Uh, uh, Joe Cox is is a right wing. Uh, That's actually uh, not uh, true. Uh, That's not actually true, far, David. No, she was murdered because not... because she was there. Frankly, I mean, you know, he didn't choose Joe Cox because of her particular beliefs at all. He chose her I because she was no. No, he chose. Well, David, he chose her right as a symbol of the state which he didn't like. She was unlucky, unfortunately. I, th- I don't think so. I don't think so. That murder was premeditated. He knew what he was Yes, doing. I know that. He I know that. But doesn't make him a terrorist. But but that is what happened. You know, he terrorized us. No, he didn't. How you did know, he terrorize you? Do you, know how, do you know how many MPs going around fearing for their life after that? Well, that's not the point. That doesn't make him a terrorist, though. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot well, I mean, we, we, if you're never going to agree with me, there's no point in us just shouting backwards and forwards at each other. The bottom line for me, David, is that a man that blows up Manchester Arena, terrorises entire families, communities, kills a load of people, is a terrorist. A nutter who kills an MP because of some warped ideology is not. It's as simple as that. Thanks for your call. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, apparently, uh, Halloween has been celebrated for many a year. And I used to, I was always, I always say this, that as a, as a child, I was always sort of slightly out of sorts because in Scotland, Halloween was always a thing. Yeah. But in England, it really wasn't. And when I went to school as a kid... Nobody in England celebrated Halloween. Nobody well, did anything about it whatsoever. We are, we lived in one of the few areas um, that really did go bonkers for Halloween because we had an American school nearby. Yes, of course. So, of course, the American influence brought, yeah. you know, brought Halloween with them. And so I really did do trick-or-treating yeah. in our area. But then... That without realizing that the rest of London, the rest of the country really wasn't, the country doing wasn't doing it. it. I mean, yeah. we had we had the whole we did ducking for apples. Yeah. We had a thing called a treacle scone, which you hang from the ceiling, and, and my father used to take great delight swinging it in your face. So you I went trick or treating with Damien Lewis. Did you? Yes, oh, I did. How very posh. <laughs>
A very st- was you sure it wasn't a stage <laughs> school? One, one, one of the few t- last times yeah. I saw him was right. about 30 okay. years ago. Very nice. <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, apparently now Halloween starts last Friday, uh, possibly last Thursday, runs all the way through the weekend. We've got pictures of people getting dressed up, uh, going to parties in Manchester for the very scantily clad men and women, yeah. zombies, ghosts, ghouls, uh, incredible scenes, right? You've also got, of course, loads of Halloween parties from Saturday night uh, from my, where my kids were down in Sussex. And now uh, we've got the real Halloween parties coming on Wednesday. I mean, it just seems to go on yep. for a week now. I don't know when we started taking it this crazily and seriously. My daughter was meant to be going to a Halloween party last night. So on a Sunday On a evening, Sunday night. The night before they all going back yeah. to school. That was bonkers. And I actually asked my kids this morning of all the holidays, including your birthday. So of you know, Easter, Christmas, your birthday, Halloween. Well, you know, rate them in order. And they... They both chose Halloween as really? their favourite, beyond uh, above their birthdays and Christmas. How interesting. Well, let's talk to Liz Taylor, who's a celebrity party planner. She might be able to make some uh, sense of all of this. Liz, uh, very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Hi, good afternoon to you both. I was laughing, you know, when you were describing the night out in Manchester, the Halloween, because I think that's really any Saturday night out in Manchester. You think you might be right. I think my favourite picture was if this woman dressed as a sort of princess or something, eating a kebab out of a, um, uh, out of a, you know, those polystyrene boxes with a fork. And I thought, you know, well, I suppose I, if you're still capable of eating at that time of night, then good luck to you. But it, does seem, it does seem this year to be dragging on for like a week rather than just a couple of days? I think because it's midweek. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's something that appeals actually to all ages. Uh, I've done lots of Halloween parties. I mean, I've done some really amazing stuff in, in private homes and marquees where we've had huge mirrors built and you look in the mirror and then this ghoul sort of, it's all mm-hmm. light reflective and looks back at you and, uh, you know, bride, the bride of Wildenstein, whatever it is, sort of flying through the ceiling. I've done... Lots and lots of superb stuff, but it appeals to everyone. Mm. So you've got little ones that do the trick-and-treating, and then you've got, um, you know, older people that take any opportunity to go and dress up and have a good bit of fun. And it's a non-offensive... Um, it's a non-offensive night. Well, it's it should actually... be, but of course, we've been reading for the last couple of weeks, not necessarily just in this country, but in America, you know, where certain uh, outfits can't be done, you know, certain outfits can't be worn, they'd be considered to be in bad taste. So, so I mean, even there, you've got to be slightly careful, haven't you? Well, to a certain extent, but, I mean, I, I think that the critics are always going to find something to critique about. Mm. It is, from my perspective, it's a bit of a... It's an excuse for a, for some sort of, if you want to call it a celebration. And and it's fun, and it can be sexy, and it can be young, and it can be... And I just think it's great fun. And Liz, do you think, because I often think when I think of those Halloween parties as sort of Hollywood-type parties or celebrity... You know, the sort of, is it Jonathan Ross that famously has a massive yes, Halloween party? Yes, he does. And you see all the celebs go, you know, trying to outdo each other with their outfits. So I suppose maybe we all want a bit of that. Funny enough, my daughter's parking herself as her friends next, who lives next door to Jonathan Ross this year because of that, because he <laughs> lights up his whole house and he does a really amazing thing. Um, and we did, a, we did a party recently. It, was, it wasn't a Halloween theme. It was a couple of weeks ago, but it was very similar. And um, everybody, you know, everybody really got into it and got into the outfits. And it's just, I, I think it's a great excuse to have a little bit of fun without offending or harming anyone and i love the fact that the kids can be involved 
you don't think anybody's going to go over to the dark side because I've got very bad news for you, right? The Church of England apparently has sent out uh, an advisory to say that children should try and avoid the lure of the dark side uh, and they should actually dress up as saints or uh, go door to door handing out treats uh, and Bible verses to their neighbours. I can't see that catching on for some way, uh, reason, Liz, can you? Well, I hope they don't come to me for a party because I'm goosed <laughs> up and I'm not going to be able to do anything. <laughs> I mean, I think if, if they've lost Halloween, I think it's all over for the Church of England, to be honest. Absolutely, if... absolutely. That and bonfire night and all these crazy <laughs> things. But I think that people do... Listen, I've done some great parties for all sorts of different people and I've done themes from down the Yellow Brick Road into Oz. I've done, um, as I said, one particular fabulous Halloween party. They're themes, you know, they're fun and they're just, they're embracing sort of the, the occasion. Mm. And I don't think, you know, I don't think we can take life too seriously, really. I think that Liz, um, what, we've what... got to enjoy what advice would you give on sort of Halloween etiquette? Because I certainly know, you know, in some areas where you get a lot of kids coming around trick-or-treating, and I get so cross when these little greedy hands come yeah. in grabbing great handfuls right. of sweets. That Do you of... have, like, a bucket of sweets? Is that what you have? Yeah, sort of, right. particularly my sister's house, where it's a really popular area for trick-or-treating, and there'll literally be hordes of them. And I get so angry with the with, with the kids who are kind of trying to snatch loads. <laughs> I sort of find myself when snapping they, at when them. They... When they bang and bang and bang on the door, you know, because they really want you to answer. Yeah. I think that I think that anybody under the age of, you know, 14 should be accompanied by an adult. Mm. I think it's the adult's responsibility to make sure that they're sensible. And it isn't a smash and grab, as you've said. It's just, you know, it's a bit of fun and it's an opportunity for them to go out when they wouldn't be out after school, knocking on doors and, and, and having and, you know, just enjoying it. And I think it's our responsibility to make sure that they are appropriate appropriately behaved yeah. but apart from that whole series what about the bit, parents just... <laughs> yeah. <Well>, I... <laughs> I also used to get really cross with those who'd made absolutely no effort to dress up no. they basically were standing there in just a hoodie turn up, yeah. just said demanding sweets right. <laughs> like, otherwise go home and put a costume on and then, and then come back or, also Liz I was thinking about the etiquette of the part, the fancy dress parties because obviously you know, a lot of people do like dressing up but some people really hate it don't they they do um, but then don't go and uh, you know, I, I, I'm doing some events, and, and not all events, but some events where the client is investing a significant amount of money in turning that fantasy into reality and creating a whole wonderland of a scene there for people to enjoy, which involves booze and drink and entertainment. So if you're not, in, you know, if, if you're not into it, then don't go. But you can't turn up at a fancy dress party in your own clothes because you don't want to embrace the fancy dress. Yeah, don't go. Don't, don't no, be exactly. a party pooper. And it's your, in your experience this year, Liz, I know you were saying it's partly because of it falling sort of right smack bang in the middle of the week. I mean, will there be a load of parties on Wednesday night as well? Because, of course, we've seen loads over the weekend. Um, as, as Daisy was saying, some on Sunday, some on Saturday, some on Friday. And will there be a, lo a, a load more? Will Manchester turn into Ghoul City again, for example, on Wednesday night? Well, I'll let you know when I'm out there in my outfit eating that burger with that with that fork. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What, what's your outfit? What's your outfit? What, which outfit have you gone for? Well, a witch, of course. Of course. Why not? A white witch, I hope. Of course. You don't want to go to the dark side. Don't that want to go to the dark side. Been there and done that. You were just talking about these amazing parties that you've, you've created for your clients. What's the most expensive party your clients have had? Oh, God, I can't tell you that. Was that a piece no, of? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not asking for their name and address. No, just tell, just <laughs> tell us the amount. Wait. 
Well, we, we, we do all sorts of stuff. We've had sort of projects in excess of a million and we've had projects under sort of 5,000. But you're not going to go use an event organiser or a party planner um, if there isn't some budget involved. If you came to me and said, I've got £1,000, I'm getting married or I'm having a Halloween party, what should I do with it? I'd invest it in one really fast. I do a huge cauldron with all the masses of, of the, some wonderful leaves, all the autumnal leaves and the berries. I do one massive thing right in the middle of the room that everyone walked in and went, oh my God, that is fantastic, rather than spread the money thinly. Yeah. I've had people that have spent, you know, one and a half million pounds on a, on a weekend, but it's all, it's how you spend the money. And, it, and it's very difficult for me to throw figures to you today and justify them without, um, you know, when you... Uh, without I love hearing about people spending lots of money. <laughs> I'm not it judgmental. Makes Daisy, <laughs> makes Daisy feel better about her trip to Ikea later. <laughs> exactly. she's also it's like going quite to a house and have, you, you go to your home and you might have an interior designer. It's the same, it's just mine doesn't last as long, but yeah. hey-ho. Well, here's one. I've got a tweet here from Roy, who sent a picture of all sorts of stuff that he's just bought down the shops. He says, spare a thought for me, folks. I just got peer pressured by a four-year-old to get stuff to decorate the front of the house because the neighbours all go mad with it. He says he's 50 pounds lighter in the pocket and he's got all sorts of things like a pumpkin rope light, sound-activated string lights, a cemetery kit. Wow. You know, he's gone for he's gone for the full. Uh, he's like my, my sister does the whole, She decorates her whole house, the front of it, and she has sort of things, you know, blowing steam we've got out. Sort of, and... Yeah, we've got like a cackling uh, skeleton, yeah. which we always hang out, which is quite frightening. Remember... The dog really doesn't like it. When I first... That's <laughs> no way to talk about your wife. I think that's really rude. <laughs> yes, thank you, Liz. Yeah, if only that was true. But uh, but listen, have a fantastic time. I mean, after this period is over, do you then do bonfire night parties as well? Uh, we we do we we do Christmas. We're big on Christmas here. We've got some really exciting Christmas projects right. and bonfire. I'm actually on the top floor of a building, so I get a magnificent view of the cricket club. So my mates are coming over, and we're going to have a few glasses of wine. Very nice. And uh, watch it for free. Absolutely, that's the way to go. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show ten to one Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.